Section 4E, Joint and Coalition Capabilities. We will lead and we will enable others to lead. Moreover, we will do this always by coordinating military power with the diplomacy and development efforts of our government and those of our allies and partners. Martin E. Dempsey, General U.S. Army, 18th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Joint and Coalition Capabilities. As our nation and armed forces are confronted with a multitude of priorities, from a shrinking force and limited resources to fiscal constraints, we must be mindful to advance only the necessary resources to ensure that the right capabilities are integrated and interoperable across all domains of air, space, and cyberspace. Competing priorities today must now be carefully measured against all military capabilities, ensuring that quality, not necessarily quantity, smartly contributes to a faster, more flexible, agile, and response force. That said, we must rely on the strengths of others, or be interdependent and meanwhile ensure all capabilities can effectively intertwine or be interoperable with each other to achieve an overarching objective. One of the founding initiatives, which addressed joint interdependence and joint interoperability, was the Goldwater-Nichols Department of Defense Reorganization Act of 1986. One of the first successful operational actions of combining joint and coalition integration was experienced during operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm. These operations demonstrated in unmistakable fashion the value and effectiveness of joint and combined military operations. The unique capabilities of each of the U.S. military services and those of each of our allies were exploited during various phases of both operations. The combined force provided a synergistic combat capability which brought the greatest possible military power of the coalition force to bear against the opponent. Likewise, our experience also reaffirmed the importance of joint and combined training, the value of forward presence, and the validity of joint force sequencing for power projection. A good example of this was through the use of the Air Force's domain of space. After the Gulf War, there was a near-unanimous agreement that space-based systems greatly increased the overall effectiveness of coalition forces. Clearly, history proved that collectively, the strengths, resources, and training of one service or nation in today's increasingly complex environment increases and or balances the successful outcome of a military objective. This was seen in Iraq, Libya, and Afghanistan, throughout all aspects of the global war on terrorism, and through other worldwide security challenges. The U.S. Air Force's unity of effort, through the application of air, space, and cyberspace, provides unique capabilities that bridge a comprehensive joint and coalition approach. This unity of effort involves the coordination and cooperation toward common objectives, even if the participants are not necessarily part of the same command or organization, but the product of successful unified action. Joint Publication 1-02 Our doctrine continues to evolve. We now rarely see any one service or any one country unilaterally plan, organize, or execute an operation, but we see inclusiveness with joint, coalition, and sometimes interagency partners, whereby we depend on each other to succeed in today's complex environment. Through this interdependence, we are able to select the right resources and capabilities from each other. These capabilities simply do not get used when a contingency arises, but are synergized and tested through such venues as exercises and operations to ensure all joint and when necessary, coalition partners can meet the desired objectives at the right time and right place. 
Each service and coalition brings a unique balance to every operation and, depending upon the circumstances, the balance may shift from one service or nation due to the different operating environments and applications necessary to support the best options. Our Air Force tenet of centralized control, decentralized execution, is a great example of this. When employing strategic air attack as a line of operations, which defines the interior or exterior orientation of the force in relation to the enemy, or that connects actions on nodes and or decisive points related in time and space to an objective, we will require a high degree of centralization under an air commander, known as the Joint Force Air Component Commander. The Joint Force Air Component Commander must have authority over all forces, foreign or domestic, to direct operations, including attack sequencing, and make adjustments as operations unfold. On the contrary, if tactical air operations are necessary to support ground troops using close air support, these air resources are best when decentralized to support ground commanders. The tenet of air power is never prosecuted alone, but space and cyberspace, which belongs to no one state, remains a vital imperative for joint force operations. A good example of this was played out during Operation Odyssey Dawn over Libya in 2011. During this operation, the joint and combined operations provided one of the greatest uses of joint and coalition capabilities in our recent history. In an effort to support multinational efforts necessary to protect civilians in Libya from attacks by the regime of Libyan leader Muammar al-Qaddafi, the U.S. Africa Command Task Force was assigned to provide operational and tactical command and control of U.S. military forces supporting the international response to the unrest in Libya and enforcement of United Nations Security Council Resolution 1973. At the start of operations, U.S. Africa Command, commanded by General Carter Hamm, exercised strategic command. Tactical command in the theater of operations was executed from USS Mount Whitney in the Mediterranean Sea under supported command of Admiral Sam Locklear, commander, U.S. Naval Forces Africa. U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert Gates indicated that control of the operation would be transferred to French and British authorities or North Atlantic Treaty Organization within days. The Joint Task Force was called Joint Task Force Odyssey Dawn. As a joint team, the supporting commands, commanders, were the Joint Force Maritime Component Commander, Vice Admiral Harry B. Harris, who controlled maritime assets aboard the USS Mount Whitney, and Joint Force Air Component Commander, Major General Margaret Woodward. As the Libyans began joining other Arab populations across North Africa in conducting anti-government protests and demonstrations, Time passed and the Qaddafi regime increasingly began to use military force against its citizens in efforts to repress the uprising. The Arab League, meeting in Cairo, asked the United Nations Security Council to impose a no-fly zone over Libya to protect civilians from air attack and declaring that the Qaddafi government had lost its sovereignty. The United Nations Security Council passed Resolution 1973 authorizing all necessary measures to protect civilians in Libya. The resolution authorized the use of force and the enforcement of a no-fly zone over Libya. The U.S. Secretary of Defense approved and ordered the use of U.S. military forces in strikes against the government of Libya. The International Coalition took measures to begin enforcement of United Nations Security Council Resolution 1973 to include the imposition of a no-fly zone, launched strikes against Libyan military sites and air defense systems. To illustrate effective interdependence and interoperability, the following joint and coalition capabilities over Libya was a good example. 
the following representation was captured within the first few days of Operation Odyssey Dawn. As Major General Woodward commanded the air campaign, French aircraft destroyed four Libyan tanks in airstrikes to the southwest of the city of Benghazi. The French military claimed that its aircraft had also flown reconnaissance missions over all Libyan territory. On the same day, British Prime Minister David Cameron confirmed that Royal Air Force jets were also in action and reports suggested that the U.S. Navy had fired the first cruise missile. CBS News correspondent David Martin reported that three B-2 stealth bombers from Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri, flew nonstop from the U.S. to drop 40 bombs on a major Libyan airfield. Martin further reported that U.S. fighter jets were searching for Libyan ground forces to attack. The Pentagon and the British Ministry of Defense confirmed that, jointly, British ship HMS Triumph and U.S. Navy ships, including USS Barry and submarines, fired more than 110 Tomahawk cruise missiles, supported with air attacks on military installations, both inland and on the coast. Days later, several Storm Shadow missiles were launched by British jets. Nineteen U.S. planes conducted strike operations in Libya. The planes included Marine Corps AV-8B Harriers, U.S. Navy E-8-18G Growlers, which were diverted from operations over Iraq and jammed Libyan radar and communications, and Air Force F-15 and F-16 fighter jets. A military convoy was destroyed south of Benghazi by airstrikes. Seventy military vehicles were destroyed, and multiple Loyalist ground troop casualties were also reported. Four Danish F-16 fighters left Italy's Siginella Air Base for a successful five-hour-long high-risk mission and four Italian Tornadoes, electronic combat reconnaissance, accompanied by four Italian aircraft. Operations continued, and on 31 March 2011, at 0600 Greenwich Mean Time, North Atlantic Treaty Organization took command of all operations in Libya, with subsequent operations being conducted as part of North Atlantic Treaty Organization-driven Operation Unified Protector. Operation Odyssey Dawn was a complete success and supported the necessity of not only joint and coalition capabilities, but how air, space, and cyberspace domains intertwined all facets of the operation to guarantee success. General Dempsey said it best when he stated, joint and coalition means building and presenting forces that can be molded to context, not just by adding and subtracting, but by leaders combining capabilities in innovative ways. It means interdependence services that rely on each other to achieve objectives and create capabilities that do not exist except when combined. It means a regionally postured but globally networked and flexible force that can be scaled and scoped to demand. Today, not one military contingency or operation, whether in peacetime or wartime, can optimize its objective without space or cyberspace. AirPower offers speed, agility, flexibility, range, and responsiveness to virtually every need, and AirPower has demonstrated its success to meet our homeland and international security challenges by leveraging our respective capabilities and maximizing resulting synergy. Cyber operations guarantee our capability to operate in any contested cyber domain to support vital land, sea, air, and space missions by developing capabilities to protect essential military cyber systems and to speed their recovery if an attack does occur. In these interdependent domains, the Air Force possesses unique capabilities for ensuring global mobility, long-range strike and intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. The benefits of air power extend beyond the air domain. 
and operations among the air, land, maritime, space, and cyber domains are increasingly interdependent upon each other for the success of any and all national military objectives. Together, the domains of air, space, and cyberspace, effectively combined with joint and coalition capabilities, has proven to be the most valuable means of supporting the national security strategy of the U.S. and our allies.